0: Let's pray together once again as we open the word of the Lord. God, we do acknowledge that you are sovereign and good. You are gracious and lovely. And Lord, you have revealed yourself to us in your world, in your creation. And You've also given a special revelation of Yourself through Your Word. So I pray that over these next few minutes, as we continue, can consider this encounter with Jesus and the disciples and the 5,000 or so people, God, we pray that You would open our eyes and help us to see more of You, more of the way that You're working in our lives, and how we should live in light of what You've written here. Help us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, as, uh, let me ask you a question, and you can just think about this, but when it comes to being tested, and I'm not talking about an exam at school, students, I'm talking about those tests that come by in our lives, those hidden variables, if you will. How do you respond? How do you react when you're tested? Do you withdraw? Do you become very quiet and introverted and kind of bottle everything up? Do you gut it up? Do you just think, okay, I'm going to do the next thing. I'm going to press on and I'm going to the next one step. Keep just keep moving. Just just keep swimming as uh, Nemo would say, right? Or do you lash out? And this may be related to the bottling up because you can only bottle up so long and eventually you explode, right? Or do you reach out to others? Do you acknowledge your need for help and say, hey, I need someone to come alongside me? Do you pray? Do you pray? I wish I could say that I always responded well, but I don't. Several years ago, um, we were moving from Rockville to Gaithersburg and kind of like this last move, there was a gap when we had sold one house and we weren't ready to close on the other house. So there was storage in the middle and, and all sorts of things. And there was this one particular day when I was borrowing my father-in-law's truck and it was somewhere, my car was somewhere else and Danielle was down in Rockville. She'd been babysitting that day and she had my car. And wouldn't you know it, my car was dead. Battery had died. And in my head, I'm thinking I've got jumper cables back in somewhere else and not there. So immediately I'm thinking, i got to go from here to there, and I don't have the tools I need. What am I going to do? And then on top of that, I get a call from our real estate agent, and she says, Joel, I need this document in order for us to move forward with the settlement. And I'm trying to rack my brain and thinking, where is this thing? And I've realized it's in the safe. It's a good place to be. The problem is the safe was in storage, buried. And I'm thinking, I've got all these pressures. And I'm thinking, I've got to get to Rockville to help Danielle. I've got to get to this storage place in Gaithersburg to get the stuff to unpack. To get... And I, I wish I could say I handled this minor test well. But Danielle and my friends could tell. They could hear it in my voice. I lashed out at different times. I said things that I regret. God eventually worked everything out. I don't remember all the details, but it just the jumper cables that I thought were in another place were in the car where they needed to be. The truck that I was driving had a strong enough battery to jump that car and everything was fine on that end. The documents, we figured that out and we sold the house and bought the next one and everything worked out. But in the meantime, this very minor test that God placed in my life, I failed. I had failed the test, I think, because I was owning the weight of the problem. I wasn't sharing it with other people. I even had friends saying, hey, Joel, how can I help? And I'm like, no, I just got to deal with this. I was lashing out, and I was a mess over what was a rather minor test. And I, I say that because Jesus tests us at various times in our lives. He tests us in a variety of ways. And sometimes it's small and almost, just like jumper cables and documents, just minor. Sometimes it's big and painful. And today, as we consider the book of John together, we get to see a familiar passage where Jesus tested his disciples In the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, this is one of only two miracles that happen, that show up in all four Gospels. Every Gospel has some account of the feeding of the 5,000. The other miracle that they all show is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is appropriate because they are the Gospels of Jesus. This week, when I wrote out the, when I sent, when we sent out the midweek email, I challenged and encouraged you to read all four accounts of the feeding of the 5,000 to, to make some comparisons. And I, I hope you took time some, to do that because it's interesting when we read parallel passages like that, we kind of get a glimpse into how each author, how God is moving by the Holy Spirit to lead the author to point out different things in each setting you know, by way of similarities, there were 5,000 men in each of these situations. Uh, there were also the loaves and the fish were the same number in both places. The region, the part of the world, the part of Israel where this took place was also in the same place. So we know, hey, this is the same event that they're looking at. But there were a couple of differences, a very minor differences, but I think they make a big Difference. So that means a minor difference that makes a big difference would be a major difference. Maybe. I don't know. Interestingly, in all of the other accounts, whenever the feeding of the 5,000 happens, it shows up after the retelling of the death of John the Baptist. So, and, and it's interesting because the Gospels don't say, and John the Baptist died. Instead, it said, Jesus retreated to this other place after hearing on the death of John the Baptist and he goes back and then it says, for this is what happened to John and it sort of sets it up as though Jesus was there in light of what happened to John the gospel of John doesn't say it that way he simply says they're here he goes from one side of the sea to the other side and it's there. He does in te- instead mention a specific time, and he gives us the, the, the timeline of when this happened in the year. And he also mentions, he's the only gospel to mention specifically that this was a test. He said this to test his disciples, for he already knew what he was going to do. So, today, as we go through this, I don't have, if you notice in your bulletin, it's blank. So you get to draw pictures, or you get to take notes in whatever way you feel like. There's no fill in the blanks. We aren't going to have scripture on the screen, so let me encourage you to open your Bibles, or if you want to grab the Pew Bible to page 754, you can do that. We're going to be looking at John 6, 1 through 15, and what we'll do is we'll kind of look at the setting briefly. We'll consider the the elements of what's around there, but then we'll also... um, We'll look at what the test is. We'll look at the sign as a result of the test and the response as a result of the sign, in, in light of the sign. And then we'll kind of pull together some, some takeaways, some applications for us. So let's begin with the setting. John gives us a, a clear picture, if you want to look in your Bibles, at chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and then again in verse 10. It says this, after this, after the events that we've been studying for the last few weeks... Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And the large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And then look briefly down in verse 10. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. So let, let's think about the setting. Where is this taking place? This is in northern Israel around the Sea of Galilee. They're on most likely on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a mountain. If you've ever been to Israel or you've seen pictures there, the, the sea is is surrounded by mountains by we might call them hills. They're not much different, probably smaller than the ones that we have in western Maryland. But the sea is surrounded by that. It's also a very fertile area. So obviously they're saying there's lots of grass. and, And right before this, Jesus had been down in Jerusalem. So again, as we've seen before in John's Gospel, John is helping us understand Jesus is moving up and down throughout Israel, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, showing signs of who he is. But then not only do we have the location, we have the time, the when, John tells us that this was near Passover. Passover is typically in March and April. We actually had Passover last week, and it was one of the few times that it directly coincided with when we celebrate Easter. If you remember, the Passover was a a festival that God called the Israelites to, to, to do year after year after year as a reminder of what God had done leading them out of Egypt. When, God, when it became time for God to send the Israelites out of Egypt, he told them to prepare a meal in a certain way, to kill a lamb, to cook it. They were actually to eat the meal in haste. But then they were to take the blood of the lamb and they were to put it on the doorpost and on the lentil of their house. That night when the families all went to sleep, the angel of death came through. And in God's sovereignty, as a punishment for what Pharaoh, his hardness of heart, his rebellion against God, he killed all of the firstborn of those who did not have the blood on the door. And so God set up this Passover festival, Passover feast, as a means of reminding them year after year, this is what God did when he passed over. Interestingly, this is the second of three times that John references the Passover We've already seen one of them. In John chapter 2, right after the, uh, when Jesus turned the water to the wine, he goes back south into Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover. This is the second one. Now he's up north in Galilee. The third one that we get to see actually covers the last five or six chapters of the book of John, chapters 13, or yeah, about four or five chapters, chapters 13 through 17, when Jesus is is doing the is spending the last supper with his disciples so we understand where this took place we understand when around the passover feast who was involved we see Jesus obviously we see his 12 disciples two of them are named but we also see 5000 plus people one of those differences between John's account and the other gospel writers is they all say Women and children as well. 5,000 men plus women and children. But then that leads us to the test. That leads us to the crux of this, of this text. Look at verses 4 through 6 in John chapter 6. Now the Passover feast of the Jews was at hand. And lifting up his eyes and seeing the large crowd that was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread So that these people may eat. He said this to test him. For he knew what he would do. You see it's unclear if Jesus was intending this to be a Passover meal. Or if he simply understood that these people would need food. The other gospel writers communicate that some of these guys had been there for multiple days with him. So they were hungry. But think about this. 5,000 men... If you add in, take into the other accounts, women and children, you're looking at fifteen or 20,000 people. This week, I was at the last together for the gospel conference in Louisville. There were over 11,000 people in this convention. And just to make this thing work, there were hundreds of volunteers, people in red shirts. And you knew you could ask the red shirt people anything and they would tell you or they would tell you who you would find. But they also had a bunch of blue shirt people who worked for the convention. There were dozens of those people working security, guarding the doors, providing catering, all sorts of things. Hundreds of people just to help make this conference work. The conference itself was over a year in planning and except for the speakers and the few who purchased the meal plan, everyone was on their own. So now everyone's going out into Louisville, Kentucky to race, to find food before we had to get back into the conference. It was a logistical nightmare when you're dealing with all those people at that time. But here Jesus simply says to Philip, how are we going to get food? How are we going to get food? This was a big problem. I mean, you know what it's like when you're having a feast, when you have people over to your house. I made the mistake a couple of weeks ago. Zoe and I had prepared food. We cooked the night before or we started it. I made a crockpot meal. I was thinking, hey, initially we're thinking it's just a few of us for lunch. And I made the mistake of inviting a few other people, which the number that it would have gone to went from 3 to 12 immediately. And thankfully, in their wisdom, my friends said, no, we're not going to impose on you with that. They had actually other plans too. And that's okay. But it was a good thing because we did have one extra person come along and we didn't have enough food for 12. We barely had enough food for four. I'm not as good at planning meals as Danielle is. So Philip has that same problem. You have all these people. What in the world? And we don't have enough money frankly jesus we've been walking around with you and so philip replies 200 denarii worth of bread 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little the translation that we read earlier said that that was a little more than a half years of wages i mean think about i mean that's not a small sum of money and if that's what philip is carrying around in his robe That's a lot of change in his pockets, 200 denarii, and yet it was clearly not enough. He was being realistic and yet doubtful. And then Andrew steps in, Simon Peter's brother. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these among so many? What are these among... Jesus, here's something. And I think what's interesting is Andrew at least says, Jesus, we've got a little, but what can you do with this? You see, one of the challenges we run into with our society becoming so affluent is that we've failed to recognize how much we need each other. We fail to recognize how much we need God. Danielle and I have had a conversation over the last couple of weeks at different times. She was listening to a podcast that was talking about the affluence of people in certain parts of Africa. And, you know, in, in those places, the women typically would walk out to the well and they'd, get, they'd fill up their jugs and they'd take it back to their homes. And they'd have this very much communal time. And when there was a need, they would all kind of reconcile problems because they knew they needed each other. They knew they were going to show up at the well the next morning and, man, if there's an awkward scent, there, we've we got to make sure that this is good. But the guy in this podcast that she was listening to mentioned that as people became more wealthy in that area, they began, began building bigger houses and building walls around their houses. So instead of being able to see one another, instead of being able to enjoy community with one another, they were walling themselves off, becoming so much more self-sufficient. And now the sense of community has diminished. And so when there are true needs, there's no one available to know that. Danielle also mentioned from that podcast, there's an author named Jenny Allen. She and her husband had just moved to a new area. And they got into the new house in the middle of summer and they realized that their air conditioning was not working and it was going to be a few days before someone would come and fix it. So the neighbors happened to be there and they were helping out. And the guy recognized the problem that was there and he said, I have a spare AC unit if you'd like. And they used it for months. And that, that ability to, to, to express and receive help in time of need became the means by which they created a sense of community in their neighborhood. And I think that's a bit of what Jesus might be doing here. He presents his disciples with this problem and says, How are you going to solve this problem? For which they're thinking, and I, this is my kind of looking at this, Philip's thinking, I don't have enough money to solve this problem. And even if we pull all our resources, it's still not enough. And Andrew's thinking, here's a little bit. But I wonder, how often are we in that same boat when God tests us? How often am I in that same boat with my jumper cables and frantic running around all over Montgomery County trying to solve this problem? Losing my sanctification at the same time. How often are we in that same boat where we're thinking, I have to solve this problem. I have to pass this test. When maybe all the while, Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. So that brings us to the sign. In verses 10 to 13, we, as we read earlier, Jesus directed the people to sit down. And then he modeled what I think a lot of us probably do at our homes. Is he prayed. He gave thanks. God, thank you for your provision of this food. And then he did the amazing thing and he began to break the bread. And he began to give it out. They were sitting in groups of 50s and he just kept going and kept going and kept going and kept going. And as I was reading that this week, it reminded me of another story from the Old Testament. If you remember this in second Kings chapter four, verses one through seven, there was a a woman, a a widow who had, uh, you know, her son, her husband had died. She had a couple of sons and her sons were in trouble because the debt collectors were coming. And, and in that, in that case, Well, let me just read it for us. 2 Kings 4, 1 to 7, it says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself, you and your sons, behind yourself and your sons, and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. And she went from him and shut the door behind herself and, and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel and he said to her there is not another and then the oil stopped flowing and Jesus and she came and told the man of god she said go and sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on the rest and here is this wonderful story where this woman in dire need goes to the man of god and says i need help and and god does a miracle in that case he continued to pour out the oil of provision in their lives. And and much the same way Jesus here with with this food, he breaks the bread and and as we read earlier, we read that they had enough. They had more than everybody ate till they were full. It's like the best Thanksgiving feast ever. And then just like Thanksgiving, they had leftovers. So he tells the disciples, go and collect them all. Do you remember how many baskets full of bread they had? Twelve. How many disciples are there? Twelve. Coincidence? I don't think so. There's one more aspect of this section of Scripture that we should consider, and that is the response of the result. Look down in verses 14 and 15. It says, When the people saw the sign that, they had, that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And perceiving they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You see here, the people saw yet another sign and they could see, man, Jesus is something special. He must be the one. And I bet in their minds, they were thinking back to Deuteronomy 5, 18, verses 15 to 19, where, when Moses says, there will come after me a prophet, and him you shall follow, and him you shall listen to. And I think they were also having the Psalms in their heads when they, they had a chance to read before from Psalm, for instance, 132.12, where it says, if your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies, that I shall teach them Their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. This is something that, a promise that God made to David. And so they're thinking, hey, this is a son of David. He is clearly the prophet. We have to make him king. Because in their mind, their only solution is a king on the throne. But Jesus knew that his mission was different. He was a different kind of king with a different kind of kingdom. A kingdom without borders. And his throne is not made with human hands. So what can we take away from that? This is very a familiar passage. We think, okay, Jesus performed this miracle. He didn't always feed everybody. What are we going to take away from this? And I think the first is this. We need to pay attention to who Jesus is and what he is doing. You see, these people were following him because they knew there was something special with Him. They didn't fully understand it, but they wanted to be with Him. And so I think for us, we need to just slow down and delight in Him. I was convicted about that this week. A lot of times in my quiet time, I'm listening to Scripture while I'm walking in the morning. But I'm really challenged to, how much am I remembering How much am I really chewing? How much am I really just enjoying who Jesus is? We need to delight in Him. Slow down and take time to just be with Him. As as we read Scripture, I think we need to reflect on His character and His words. And when He tells us to do something, do it. But in addition to Paying attention to who Jesus is and what he's doing. I think, secondly, we need to, when tested, trust God with what we have to do more than what is possible. Trust God with what we have to do more than what is possible. This, I think, may have been the underlying premise of the test. Will we trust God with our resources? Will we trust that God is able to do so much more? Will we trust his provision? And I, But also, will we recognize that the tests that Jesus brings us are for our instruction and edification? He knows what we need to learn. And are we coming to Him for help in that time of need? In reality, this was a pretty minor test. But what about the other tests in our lives? What about job loss or being downsized? or What about a test of personal illness or the illness of a family member? What about that test of strife with a friend? The death of a loved one? The rebellion of a child? There are so many ways that God allows tests in our lives. And are we pushing against Him with those things? Or are we getting on our knees and praying and saying, God, I need your help. What is it you're doing in me in this situation? Are we trying to be so self-reliant that we fail to turn to God in our need? Fail to turn to the body that He has called us to be a part of in our need? See, I think so often we, we don't want people to know our weaknesses. We don't want people to know our, our vices. Maybe that's the very thing that God is calling us to do. He's testing us, saying, let people in so they can help you. Let me in so I can help. Yesterday at the men's breakfast, Danielle's dad came and talked, and I know a lot of you guys were there, and there's there a, a lot of things that he's, he didn't say that's been very interesting in his life. There's been two different seasons when he was without work, and it was so fascinating to watch him go through those seasons. One of them was right before Danielle and I got married. He had been laid off from work. He'd been out of work for seven, eight months before we got married. He had now one girl, two girls in college, private Christian college, two more girls in private Christian school, a mortgage, all these things. No job. And yet right about the time that his job was going away, God had opened up a door for him to do some consulting. It didn't make all the ends meet, but it made most of them get there. Jump ahead ten years later, he was downsized again without work for two years, and he had just built a house and not a small house, as he mentioned yesterday. God opened up little things here and there, but it was two years of waiting. And I asked him a while ago, a couple years ago, I said, so Fletcher, how are you feeling about retirement? And he said, well, I'm not worried. I've eaten from the hand of God, so I know he's going to take care of me. I know he's going to take care of me. I don't know that I'd be able to pass those kind of tests with the grace that he did. But what are we doing in the midst of those tests? Are we trusting that God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine? Or are we trusting only in ourselves? But also I think we need to recognize finally that Jesus may not give us what we want. But he will give us what we need. You see, these, the people that were following him, they wanted a king. They wanted a revolution. They wanted something amazing. They wanted Israel to be great again. They needed food. Jesus gave them that in that time. But when we think about it, what is it we want? Sometimes we, we come to Scripture and say, God, I, I, want, your, I want wisdom. I, I want to know how to live the good life. I want to live my best life now. We want a good teacher. We want a good moral leader. Someone who will who will do these just speak truth into our lives. And not the truth, the big T truth, but my truth. But what is it we need? Yeah, we need food and God has given God has told us he'll give us our daily you know, in the Lord's prayer, give us this day our daily bread. He knows what we need, but ultimately what we have to recognize is that we need a Savior. We need a Savior. You see, the problem of, of guilt in our culture, our, our culture doesn't know what to do with guilt. We don't know what to do with that problem in our lives. So in, instead of taking our sin and saying, oh, this is wrong and I need to repent of this, we're saying, oh, no, 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 I want to justify it. This is my truth. We've gotten rid of the objective standard in our culture. This is me. You do you, I'll do me. But what we have to recognize is that we need to deal with the guilt of our sin. We need to recognize that sin is sin. Sin is an offense to God. We like to justify our sin and rewrite our standards. One of the speakers this week is... John Piper, who's a well-known pastor and author and speaker. And he noted that in our society, we like to think... Now, hear this closely. He said, we like to think that our problems are alien. Our problems are outside of us. I don't have a problem. You have a problem. And our solutions are inside of us. But what we read in Scripture... What we see in Jesus is that our problems are inside of us. And our solution is alien. Not outer space Martians, but Jesus Christ. It's outside of us. It's only by coming to Him that we can truly find the peace we're looking for. It's only in coming to Him that we can find peace the solution for the problems that ail us. So Jesus, I think, tests us in order to grow our faith and our trust in Him. So when tested, are we running to Him? Or are we running away? I pray that we will run to Him. And then look around and see how His people His family, our family, the body of Christ is there to help. Let's pray. God, thank you for, for this example, for helping us see how you work in our lives and how you test us. And God, I pray that you'd help us. When trials come, when challenges are in front of us, help us to turn to you and to trust that you are working for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name. Amen.